Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. Today I'm talking to Ryan Mickler. He is a husband, father, Iraqi combat veteran, and the founder of Order of Man. He believes many of the world's most complicated problems could be solved if men everywhere learned how to be better husbands, fathers, businessmen, and community leaders. I'm happy to have him on the show today to hear his point of view on health and how it ties into his message. You can find Ryan on Instagram at Ryan Mickler. Ryan Mickler, welcome to the American Glutton Podcast. Man, honored to do this. We just got done with another podcast, you, you, you coming on the Order of Man podcast. So we're just going to keep the conversation rolling. Yeah, exactly. I'm really excited to talk to you because I think, um, I think the idea of, first, first I, I just think there's a lot today where like, you know, uh, the ideas of how to behave or how to exist, there's no like, you know, I think my wife pulls this out from time to time, but like a book of etiquette um, yeah. uh, uh, that, that is like a play-by-play, like she's having a dinner party and she's like, I don't know how to seat people. And she's going to look in a book <laughs> and there's literally a book. And, you know, for me, I grew up in a big city. I, I there was a lot that I just didn't know until I started to like, try to figure it out for myself. And by listening to guys like you, it's like, oh, here's some ideas that are super helpful to me. So I, I really just appreciate what you're doing. So one of the things that you do really well is, and, and I've heard you talk about this, is you've said things like, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a nutritionist. I, I'm not an expert on this stuff. And I've even heard you talk about sitting down with, with kids and trying to explain to them about your own path. And one of the things that you've said in the past is, look, the only thing I can do is share what's worked for me. And if at some point when they're ready to hear it or receive it, then hopefully my journey can inspire or help somebody. And I, and I feel the same way. Cause I have a lot of people say, well, you know, Ryan, who are you to tell people what it means to be a man and how you should act? No one actually, like I, I'm just sharing what's worked for me. And I've been fortunate enough to have conversations now with I think 330 or 350 hyper successful men and I'm just as much a student, like I'm trying to learn from you guys as much as I'm trying to just communicate this message to anybody. So I, I'm not certainly not an expert or anything. I just want to share what's worked for me. And if it helps somebody, then now we're doing the right thing. I, I think that's the whole game because I also think like the minute, the minute a guy like you or I come out and say, this is the only way that right, everybody right. must follow this pattern, by the way, I think societally, the biggest problems are the insistence on behavior in a certain structure, which comes from every different direction. And it's like, if you're not doing this, you're wrong. And if you're not doing this, you're wrong. And it's like, okay, let's all have some base agreements. 
right? Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be murdering each other. Right. <laughs> then, yeah, like, there's some universal principles that I think we can all agree apply. Yeah. But you're right. Like, I think that a lot of people think that their way is best. I mean, I fall into that trap. My, my way is best this is the best way to do it. Of course, obviously, how could anybody do it any different? But the more that I have had conversations with on my podcast, or even just conversations with neighbors and friends who might not fully agree with me, the more it broadens my perspective, and it gives me something I haven't considered before. And then I can decide to implement that into my own life or not. Right. You know, but at least at least I'm open to reflecting or entertaining it and just playing it out and seeing if it might help me be a better human being, a better father. I've got four kids, a better husband. I've been married 17 years this year, uh, a more effective business owner. You know, that that's, that's what I want. And I think that's what most people want. You know, they yeah. want, they want some relationships. They want a little money in the bank account. They want some good experiences and maybe just opening our minds a little bit more to what else is out there might help us accomplish that. Yeah. What was the, what was the impetus for this, for, for you going down this path? Was it, was it you needing to get your life in order or was it you recognizing that other people were struggling and putting out your structure? I wish I could say it was like this noble thing of like, I just wanted to serve people. Um, It really wasn't that when it is now, but you and I are very similar in that I had my own experience that I realized okay, you need to fix some things, you know, my, my, and in the moment for me was my wife and I, when we went through our separation, I had a one-year-old son with her at the time. Uh, we were constantly arguing and bickering and bitching at each other. And it was just, it was rough, man. And one night I remember vividly, like it was yesterday telling her, I don't even want to be married anymore. And she said the same thing. And she left with my one-year-old son and for months I blamed her. How could she do this? Why was she being disloyal? Why didn't she appreciate what I was trying to do for the family? Like I put it all on her shoulders. And, and I came to the conclusion months into our separation, I realized, you know what? Like you actually have a part to play in this. Like you have, it, it's, it's more than you think. I'm not absolving her of, of, of all the response. Some, she's got some responsibility certainly, but you've got a part to play. And at that moment, I started to change my life around, man. Like I started to connect with new friends. I picked up some hobbies. I was listening to a bunch of CDs because podcasting wasn't a thing at the time. So I was listening to CDs between appointments and um, got my finances in order, started going back to church. And as I took responsibility for myself, that's when our relationship changed. And like I said, we'll be married for 17 years this year, four kids, um, and so when I started what we're doing now with, with the podcast and stuff, it was really a, a result of me sharing this story with a couple of people, a couple of friends, male friends in my life who said to me, oh man, I went through the same thing with my wife or yeah, I, I didn't, I grew up without a dad too. And I kind of struggled as a kid and I realized like, there are so many people dealing with this. What if I just did a podcast Cause I had another podcast from my financial planning practice at the time. And I thought, well, I'll just do another podcast on this topic and I'll get one-on-one coaching from guys I admire and respect. And in return, cause I can't pay them. So in return, I'll just publish our conversation via podcast and it blew up, you know, it just exploded from day one. Cause men want this information just as much as I wanted and needed it in my own life. Yeah. Do you think, 
I, I, I think that's all so valuable. Um, that shift, that shift of perspective or, or point of view where you go, like, <clears throat> the situation is the other person to, mm-hmm. and, and again, I, I appreciate you going like she has responsibility too. I think we, I think the, the most noble thing we can do is allow everybody to be responsible. But I think at the end of the day, you know, it's like, um, like we can use murder because it's just the very black or white. I don't, if anybody's going to argue for murder, I think, oh, dude, ignore those people. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, because we know they're going to be out there. We know, like, right. You couldn't say anything without people interjecting and arguing. Yeah. But I go, um, I don't like murder. I don't want murder in society. We have laws against it. Uh, it's kind of universally frowned upon. There's still murder. It still happens. So right. um, there are going to be some ways I behave in order to avoid getting murdered. Um, you know what I mean? There's that. Yeah, I think a lot of people operate they operate from a place of delusion in their lives and they think that, well, life should be this way. So I'm going to live as if it were. It's like, well, that's, that's lovely until you run across a violent encounter or somebody who's just trying to screw you over uh, or just a day-to-day interaction when you have to actually have to deal with human dynamics when interests aren't aligned. Like, the reality is, is that, you know, the, the life is difficult and, and, and there are people who don't want to take responsibility. And we, we try to serve as best we can those individuals, but that doesn't mean that I get to wash my hands of the responsibility of taking care of mine and my own. Yeah. You know, I, a perfect example of that is, is my dad. So my dad and I, he was out of the picture uh, by the time I was three, I would go see him in the summers and things like that. Um, but we had a real strained relationship, you know, three years ago, he passed away and I, and I, I drove down to California to go see him. He was in the hospital. He had a heart attack and I missed him by 30 minutes. He died 30 minutes before I got there. And I always loved my dad. I I had no doubt that he loved me the way that he showed it. I questioned at times, but I, I always knew down in my heart that, that he loved me. And I realized that what I did, and this was after he passed away, I wish I would have realized it sooner that I put him up on this pedestal and I thought he was supposed to be like God, like, like perfect. He was supposed to have everything dialed in and he was supposed to do it all right and show love in just the right way. And he was supposed to be flawless. And I realized that was very selfish of me to do that to him because he's a human. He's, as I became a father, I realized, oh shit, like I'm impatient with my kids and I get frustrated with them and I have my own things that I want to do. And that conflicts with me wanting to be a father at times. And so there's all these little things that I thought he was supposed to have figured out just perfectly. And then when I realized that the reason we may have had a strained relationship was partly because he was flawed and partly because I was flawed, (laughs) like I actually was able to forgive a lot of that and then go on about my life and control the things which I can control, which is me, not him. Like I can't, tell him what to do. I can't force him to love me in quote unquote, just the right way. I just got to live my life and hope that the chips will fall where they may. And I think more often when you're living correctly, more often than not, they will fall the right way. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. 
I totally agree. I think that I, the, 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 the area of my life that I most often am thinking in these terms is diet and exercise. And Mm -hmm. there was a long, long period of time where, uh, the responsibility was placed on the food. The Mm -hmm. responsibility was, uh, my inability to perform in exercise or to be competitive or to be able to do anything. And so the ability to kind of shift that and assume the responsibility for myself and go, I can do something about this. Mm -hmm. I think it's just, um, it's so empowering. It's harder to, it's harder to do because when you're, when you're looking at it or you've been looking at it from another perspective for so long, it's, it's, it's easier said than done to say, well, just look at it a different way. Um, assume the responsibility for yourself. Um, and I, I wondered if you had any ideas on how to make that perspective shift. Yeah. You know, I'll give you an example. So uh, this was years ago. I weighed 50 pounds more than I do today. And I was just getting started with my financial planning practice, which wasn't going well. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember looking out my office window and there was a Burger King right across the street. And so every day I would sit on my computer all day, every day and, you know, punch away, meet some clients here or there. And for lunch and breakfast, I would go right over to Burger King. I'd get a couple of breakfast burritos and then I'd get like a double Whopper or whatever. And I'd get back to my office and I would eat it and I would just feel like complete shit after every breakfast and every lunch, physically and mentally. I would feel like crap because I knew that that's... And, and so what I, what I would say to myself, I remember saying this, if only Burger King wasn't right there. <laughs> yeah, like exactly. why does... I got to get a new office. There's like Burger King, like if they would just move... Look, Burger King ain't, go, ain't going anywhere. McDonald's isn't going anywhere. <laughs> the, the, the food the, and the grocery stores and the convenience stores and the, just the, the access to food that we have is not going anywhere. And if you're waiting, like I was waiting for Burger King to what, go out of business or like find a new location, like we're going to be waiting a long time. Yeah. So for me, what I realized is that I have to put some mechanisms in place to avoid this. So I can't. I can't just rely on just the willpower of not going there. So what is the mechanism I put in place? So for me, uh, I just started bringing lunch to work with me. As simple as that. I had a little mini fridge, put a lunch in the fridge, and that alone was enough. Because when I was tempted to go to Burger King, I was like, well, I got a perfectly good sandwich or or salad right here. So get that. And those little shifts where I put mechanisms in place for myself, it wasn't discipline or it wasn't, I should say this, it wasn't willpower because I don't feel like I had the willpower to do it. It was a system in place that kept me from relying on my willpower, which was weak at the time. And now it's stronger because you can build it. But we also know that it's fleeing too. You know, if you exercise all of your willpower in the morning, that's going to be depleted throughout the day. And you're going to make poor decisions when you're tired and lethargic so I put those systems in place so I wouldn't have to rely on the weakness of my willpower at the time. And you can kind of apply this to any area of your life, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Whether it's fitness or nutrition or reading a book, um, even my office space. My office is 
organized in a way that's conducive to my success. You know, I've got like phrases on the wall. I've got them all over the place. Uh, I've got some books here. I've got pictures of the people in my life that are important to me. I've got notepads all over the place. Like I've created this space because these are the mechanisms that foster an intentional result for me, which is success in my business and personal life. Our home set up the same way, you know, for example, the dining room, every meal, every, I would say maybe 99% of the meals we eat as a family in the dining room. It's set up that way. We've got a small little cove in the, in the dining room, right off of the kitchen. It's it. We got the table for all of us. Like it's set up and it's conducive to us having that family meal together because that's important. And because it's important, we placed emphasis on the environment so that we can create the memories and the conversations we want to have. Yeah. It's a, it's a wild, it's a wild thing to really think through. But when I think about how much of my life was spent um, wanting other people to act in the way that I wanted them to act, wanting Mm. other inanimate objects to behave or exist in the way I wanted them to behave or exist, wanting the topography if that hill wasn't there i would go on a walk you know what i mean um yeah if it was only two percent instead of four percent of a grade i would for sure be walking down that street every day or you know all of it is um releasing my responsibility and my ability over to somebody else or something else and saying, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to suffer and struggle so long as this is being done to me versus what am I capable of doing um, today in this moment right now? What effect can I change? And, and it sounds, it sounds like you're applying that to every aspect of your life. And I know that I even don't necessarily think it through in those terms, but I can recognize even with my wife behaviors that I go like, this is a losing formula. I am a losing consistently. And, and when I say losing, it could just mean we had a fight. I didn't want to have a fight. So Mm -hmm. that's losing. I want to be winning. I want to be have, I want to be partners with my kids and teammates with my wife. And like, we're all, we're all working towards a goal together uh, how do we do that? There's got to be systems. Right. Yeah. The other thing I started to do, and, and this is, this was a real big shift for me is looking at excuses that I would have. You know, one thing that you talked about is the grade of the hill. Like I'm not going to go do that because it's too steep. So I, my family and I moved to Maine from Southern Utah about a year and a half ago. But when we were in Southern Utah, there was this hill. It was where the H was for the high school, Hurricane High School. So it was the H hill. And if I were to go up that hill, it was pretty steep. Uh, it was about a mile and a half up to the top of to the H. And I remember looking because I could see it right out of my window. I could look up and I could see the H right outside of my window. And I remember saying the same thing that you're saying, like, oh, you know, <laughs> like if it wasn't so steep, if it was, you know, it's hot. Like when it cools off, you know, in the in the in the winter, then then I'll go do it. You know, that's what I would say. And I started to shift that from creating excuses for not doing things and turn them into reasons to do them. So instead of saying, well, it's too steep or it's too hot, I would say it's too hot. You know what? That's actually the reason I should go do it because it's hot. 
that's the reason I should go up there because it's so steep. That's why I should do that because that conversation is difficult and you don't want to have it with your wife or your kid or whoever. That's the exact reason that I should actually have that conversation because it's comfortable in my bed. That's why I should get out of bed a half an hour early and go to the gym or go work out or go do jujitsu or go do whatever it is you're going to do. And so instead of making the things that kept me from doing what I knew I should be doing, like you talked about intuitively, we know what serving is and what isn't. Instead of making an excuse, make it a reason to actually go do the thing. And that's, that's empowering. That's totally empowering. I, I, I think I did a version of that um, where I would just act on every thought that wasn't totally destructive. So, right, right. you know, drive, drive around Los Angeles. We have kind of mountains all around us that I never would go anywhere near. And then one day I was like, why? And so I just, for, I think a month, it was like, every time I had the thought, I wonder what it looks like up at the top of that peak. I would pull over, cancel shit and go walk up to the top of the hill. Awesome. And yeah, it was so awesome because you find, um, you know, some of the more distant mountains, I would start to get up and go, Oh, I have no idea. I had no idea (laughs) actually how big this thing is because it's like, two mountain ranges back so it just looks a little bit higher but really it's you know it's huge yeah 30 miles to the top or something <laughs> and, and i start to go like i'm not gonna I, I physically am not gonna make this but now i know and so i can right. plan better and you i can plan can yeah um w- w- if we if we if we consider and i always like to look back at my previous perspective in the helplessness I felt and the um the the position where I was viewing life uh as though everything was being done to me and I I I was powerless because I couldn't I couldn't even imagine setting up a system um I couldn't imagine the responsibility lived within me or that I would be able to do anything is there is there a formula that's like a baby step to get that perspective shift? Yeah, because I think, so I went to this seminar years and years ago, and I don't really remember much about the seminar, except for I remember him saying garbage in garbage out, meaning that what the garbage that you put in your mind is the garbage that's going to be produced from the inputs equal the outputs, right? And we change them around a little bit and make assumptions and add them with other experiences that we've had. But if garbage is going in, garbage is coming out. And, and, and I started to think, well, you know, you can't have an entirely new thought. Like that, that's coming, a thought's coming from somewhere. You're, you listen to a podcast, you read a book, somebody told you, or somebody told you a little part of something and then somebody else said something else and you combined the two and, and created this new concept. But there's nothing entirely new, right? So how how do you somebody who is potentially in complete despair and downtrodden with your current situation like i know you've been i've certainly been there as well and i know everybody listening to a degree has been there too how does somebody like that then all of a sudden decide to alter their life it just doesn't happen like that it can't right and so one thing i did years ago i talked about my financial planning practice it was um well it was failing and my, my wife had, had just left. We went through our separation. The business was failing. And I was really seriously considering uh, quitting and 
going and doing something else. I didn't even know what I would do, but I was, I was going to quit. And I've never really been like a quitting kind of guy. Like, I'm like, no, I like, what can I do? Like, what's the last thing I can do? And the last thing I could think to do was to actually just go ask for help. I don't know why that takes us so long to go to do. It's probably ego. You know, it's a defense mechanism or something to, to preserve our, our, the way we view ourselves. So I'm like, all right, well, like I'm going to quit or I'm going to go ask this guy who, who's obviously very successful, what he can do. So I asked him and I sat down with him and a couple other financial advisors over lunch. And I eventually started partnering with them and they would come on uh, client cases with me. And then we partnered in business and it wasn't any surprise now looking back that the business actually started to explode when I did that. Why? Because I didn't know what I needed to know, but they knew and they taught me those things and they held me accountable. And that's actually what you talk quite a bit about is your partners. You know, you, having the right partner in place is, is the framework. You asked about the framework of the system. It's the right person in the right place. Because you can't create that thought on your own, but that individual can implant that idea within you and then show you how to achieve it. So we really need to be conscious about not only our physical space and our environment, but also who we're spending time with. And so I started looking for other people in my life who were more successful in different areas in business and fitness. And I just started bringing these people in as friends and I would hire coaches and I would go to conferences they knew something I didn't, and I wanted that information, and they shared it with me when I took responsibility for going to their space. Because I've heard a lot of other people, I hear this in, when people move to new areas, uh, people say, well, you know, no, nobody welcomed us to the neighborhood. It's like, why, why do you think that's their responsibility to welcome you? Like, did you welcome yourself? Did you go knock on the door and, and say, hey, I'm new to the neighborhood and I just wanted to introduce myself? No, they should do that. No, they, that goes back to the way that we want it to be versus the way it is. If you want to be introduced, you go introduce yourself. That's taking responsibility. And that's the ownership that you need to be able to improve your life. Yeah, I, I, really, I, I, I really want there to be no gateway for people. Um, and mostly I think in terms of like financial stuff, like it doesn't, mm -hmm. it should not cost you money to go on a diet or to have some physical goal. It, I really believe that it shouldn't, um, plenty, plenty of people spend tons and tons of money on it. And I think that I'm fine with that too. And, and, but, but I do think what you're saying is, is super important because I, you know, it comes back to this old um, poem I always think about sometimes, no man is an island. And, mm. and it is like, look, I don't, I don't, I never figured this out on my own. I figured this out because I was able to have a conversation with my wife. And, and then I was able to start to build and accrue knowledge. And, and now today I do not require my wife's daily input on what I'm doing as far as how I eat and exercise, mm -hmm. but I think I require her as a teammate. And, and so that to me goes, well, that's a gateway. That's a, that's a, you know, what do we say to the guy who's, you know, especially in this time. And I know it seems to be kind of coming to an end where we're all going to be allowed to be utterly social again, hope, <laughs> knock on wood. You know what I mean? Like I cannot imagine 
had I been trying to get sober or start uh this life-changing event of like dieting and I was single and then COVID mm-hmm. hits like this to me is a magical black swan disaster. So, yeah. So I, I empathize with the people who are, who live alone and are still in areas where quarantine is very restrictive. Like in Los Angeles, you know, I have a kid at college in New York. She went to a movie last night. We don't have open movie theaters. We don't have indoor dining. Um, it's still very tight here. Um, mm-hmm. So is there, do you have any thoughts on that? Like if, if a person is, and, and I, and I completely respect what you're saying. Like um, you moved into the new neighborhood and nobody welcomed you. Okay. Go make yourself known. Mm-hmm. What do we say? What's a suggestion for somebody who is, you know, in a restrictive area alone, like, what what's a solution there yeah i you know one simple thing i mean look like you're listening to a podcast you've got books like we have access to information unlike any time history has ever i mean you're in la i'm in maine we're in quite literally the exact opposite part of the country and we're having this incredible conversation we've been talking for nearly two hours now right yeah like it's there like it's Zoom meetings are there, books, podcasts, download audiobooks. It is all there. And so if you're feeling like, man, how can I do this without somebody? Jump on Facebook and and just search for weight loss accountability groups. Like that's an easy thing. Like anybody can do that. Oh yeah. Wait, there you'd find I bet you'd find 10,000 of them on Facebook. Join a couple, get rid of the ones you don't like, keep the ones you do, join a couple new new ones the following week. And just start talking with people. That's the biggest thing is don't sit back and be a bystander in it. Cause I don't think that's going to help you. I, I think if you, for, if we're going to talk about Facebook, for example, you're going to join a weight loss or accountability group, something like that. Just, just be active. Just make a post. Hey, wh- what are three things I can do to, 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 you know, uh, overcome uh, temptation to eat, you know, the entire chips and salsa bag. Cause that's what I would personally do. Right. So like, what, what, what can I do? Or if somebody says something and you have some insight, like respond to that person or shoot them a message and say, Hey, I saw that you were dealing with this. Here's a resource I came across. I found that the more that you can add value and the more you can help, the more you will extract, Yeah. The more you can engage, the more you can help. And you might think, well, who am I? You know, maybe you're in this weight loss group and you're you know, you're a hundred pounds overweight. You might think to yourself, well, who am I to tell another person? Who are you not to? Like, if you have an idea and you have something that you've heard or you've implemented on your, in your life and you're on the path, even though you might not be at the destination you want to be right now, that's information that could help somebody. And the more that you share, the more you're going to get in return, but man, that's such an easy way to do it. And there's no barrier, no gateway. Like you say at all, you just jump on there and take care of it. Yeah, I think that's flawless advice. And I I will just add that every endeavor or pursuit that I've gone after, whether it's been learning to cook or play chess or combatives, jujitsu, Muay Thai, weightlifting, CrossFit, there there's always and and I always perceive these people to be like the cool guys and when I say the cool guys I just mean like the people who looks like looked like they've been doing it for a while and know what they're doing um, yeah those guys for me have always been the most intimidating and yet 
when I can break through my uh, feeling of worthlessness to say, hey, I have a question. How does this work? Or what are your ideas on this? They're always the most willing to help. And like, you know, cut to, I've become that a little bit at the gym where I've had people come up to me and go, can I ask you a question on how I do, you know, a seated overhead tri- tri- tricep extension? And I'm like, you're asking me? Well, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'll tell you how to, that works. Sure. And you want to keep your elbows in and all this. And to realize that I've, I still don't feel comfortable with it. I'm still like, why would you ask me? I don't, you know, <laughs> totally. I'm not totally. the cool guy. That's the cool guy over there. You need to ask him. But I'm, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah, I'd love to tell you how this works, you know? And could you imagine though, think about this. Could you imagine like you saying no, like somebody comes up and says, Hey, uh, you know, you look like you're strong and you look like, you know what you're doing. And I'm just kind of getting back into the gym. Would you show me like one or two movements I can do? Would you ever, ever say, no, I'm not, no, nobody would do that. Nobody in a million years. And there's nobody out there who would say no to that. Yeah. And I do try to be as welcoming as possible to people who look objectively like they're new at the gym. Yes. Um, those are I think that's a good practice who I'm like, please be comfortable here. This is your space as much as it's my space. And, you know, I'm so, I just want them to feel warmth. Like I want right. them to feel like they belong there. Um, well, an ego is a very interesting thing. It can work against you, but it could also work for you. And, and, and I'll explain that. The reason that somebody wouldn't go ask for help is, is ego. It's usually driven through ego because they don't want to look foolish, right? Because if you knew you wouldn't look foolish, you would just ask everybody for all the help that you needed. If you knew that they weren't going to criticize you, they weren't going to judge you. I mean, I remember going into the CrossFit gym when I was at my heaviest weight and I just felt so dumb. I was, I just felt completely out of place. I, I even have a picture of that first day and I, I just, I, the way I'm standing and my demeanor matched exactly how I felt. And it was hard, but it was because of my ego. I didn't want to look that way. I didn't want to be perceived as something different than the way that I felt about myself, you know? Um, but the other thing you got to realize too is everybody else, even the cool guys, they're worried about the same things. Right. And you know what the cool guys like to do? They actually like to talk about how cool they are, which means that they want to show you things like they, they want to teach you. They want to, and I don't care. Actually, frankly, I don't care what their motive is. I don't care if their if their motive is purely just so they can be cool. I'm like, great. Cause it serves both of us. You can be cool and you can show me and it's working for both of us. I don't care what your motive is, but I need you to show me how to do this. And I've never met anybody in any of my endeavors. So uh, definitely the fitness journey. Uh, jiu-jitsu. I'm, I've been training jiu-jitsu for about two and a half years. I've never met anybody who I, who I would say, Hey, can you show me what you did right there? Who would not show me what they did. Yeah. Same. And then, and then the other one is uh, I, my son, my oldest son and I uh, about two months ago, we just started building a canoe. I have no woodworking experience whatsoever. Uh, I, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just thought this would be a cool project to do with my son. And I have found on Instagram, this community of canoe builders. 
And none of them have ever looked down on me. I'm like, oh, you don't know what kind of tool you should buy? Like, no, nobody says that. They're like, oh, here's the glue and here's the tool and here's the technique and here's a YouTube video and here's where I messed up and here's a book you can read. Everybody's so helpful. But again, it's your responsibility to go out and get it because it's not somebody else's responsibility. Although it's nice, it's not somebody else's responsibility to make sure you feel good about yourself. Although it is nice and we should strive to do that. It isn't somebody else's responsibility to do it. Right. I think that that is the 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 biggest breakthrough i had in my entire life was asking for help mm-hmm. that was the whole game the moment i made the decision that i wanted to change and i asked another person for help and and you know we talked about this a little on your podcast and and with sobriety it's um it's kind of that step is, you know, I've, I've admitted that I'm powerless Mm -hmm. and really it is just going like, I I just need help. I need to, Mm -hmm. I need, I need somebody to like show me what to do because what I'm not, what I'm, what I'm doing isn't working. And, and I think that that can be applied to so many places in life. It actually sometimes takes a big push. Um, you ever had that dream where you're like you're awake but you're not moving and like you have to like shake it off it's like yes. it just requires that bit of force and once you're going then it's like that barrier is gone don't ever look back at it because it's behind you and you can just right. keep plowing ahead but it is something that takes a little bit of coaxing yourself to do but that nudge can be the whole door and that's and the gateways then blown apart it, it really is. It's kind of, I think of, as you're saying that, I think of a, you know, a big coal locomotive. It just has to burn so hot and it just slowly moves. And, but man, when you get that thing going full steam and it's got the smoke coming out of the smokestack and it's going as fast as it can, man, it's pretty impressive to see that. Uh, you know, it's, um, yeah, I, 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 I was going to reiterate something on that, but it's, it's the same concept. You just gotta, you gotta get going. You got to make sure that you put yourself out there. You're going to, you're going to feel uncomfortable. You know, one of the things I talk a lot about with some of my guys is therapy. You know, I'll talk cause, cause we talk primarily with men uh, with the movement that we're doing. And a lot of guys, there's a stigma around therapy for men. You know, they think, man, if I go to therapy, I'm weak and I can't deal with it myself. I'm like, no, actually it's the exact opposite. Like if you know that there's a tool out there in this case, therapy that could serve you, and you're not utilizing it, that's, the, that's actually the problem. Like, could you imagine if you're trying to build this, this beautiful home and, and this person hires you and you're going to build this, this $2 million beautiful home and, uh, and you're like, you know, I'll, I'll build this for you. Here's the budget. Here's the price. Here's everything. We're, we're going to build this beautiful home for you. And you, could you imagine saying to yourself, but I'm going to do it without a hammer because if I do it without a hammer, it's kind of weak. Like it's weak. Like no, like nobody would ever say that, right? Is right. you're gonna you're gonna take all the tools at your disposal and you're gonna get the right tools, you're gonna invest in the right tools, and you're not gonna consider it weakness. You're actually a craftsman. You the power is the fact that you're utilizing the tool effectively, because really a hammer is just a hunk of metal. If I swing it, it's gonna be significantly less effective than a uh, master craftsman or a general contractor because they have the practice with the tool. 
we're not weak because we use tools and therapy is a tool. Accountability is a tool. Social media, like a Facebook group or something like that is a tool, but it's only as powerful as you use it. Right. And the way you use it, if you take the hammer exactly. and, you, and you hit yourself in the knee with it. Right. It's going to hurt. Yeah. It's not the right <laughs> application for the tool. That's right. Yeah. But um, then, but then people blame it on the tool, right? To, to go with our analogy, it's like you whack your knee with a hammer and people are like, oh, hammers suck. This is a hammer's fault. It's like you were the one holding it, whacking it on your knee. Like whose fault is it really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was talking to a guy recently about, um, shame as a tool and how it's you know in some circles kind of looked down upon and yet utilized at the same time because if if you do something i think that any group um has shame like if if something goes against the structure of that group or the moral agreements of that group and and then then it's shame is used as a tool but uh i personally use shame myself for myself with with regard to my behavior and I know that in my life I've had so much shame that it's overwhelming and and incapacitating and so little shame that it's like well if we're in this universe where nothing matters and it's like nihilistic kind of we can do whatever we want in a hedonistic mm-hmm. way um and, and nothing is considered bad, then I'm also behaving in a way that I, at the end of the day, don't like. And so much as anything else, I just like that, that, that we have all these tools at our disposal and, and we don't need to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Right. Just use it, learn to use it correctly. You know, there's another, another analogy that I've used in the past regarding emotions uh, because, well, shame's a great one. You know, we, we would, most people would generally consider shame as a negative emotion. You'd agree with that, right? Like that's, that's negative. It's destructive. Well, there's not, there's actually no, there's no negative emotion. There's no such thing as a negative emotion. Shame is not negative. Hate or greed or jealousy or anger. These things we would generally consider negative. They're not negative. The analogy I use is imagine you're driving down the, da- uh, the road and you're looking at the dashboard on your vehicle. And the dashboard on your vehicle is going to tell you you've got your odometer, you've got your fuel gauge, you've got your oil pressure gauge, you've got all the gauges, right? And as you're driving down the road, you see that the fuel light comes on. So on empty, fuel light comes on, starts dinging at you. Well, you're not going to freak out and say, well, this is just a negative dashboard. (laughs) What you're going to do is you're going to say, oh, I better pull over at the next exit and fill up gas. And then you go fill up gas and you get back on the road and you're good to go. Shame's the same way, right? Like sometimes experiencing shame is actually the right emotion that you should be experiencing. You, you should feel a little shame about making a poor choice because that's what's going to compel you. That's the dashboard. That's what's going to compel you to an action that's going to lead you to a better result next time. So I think we need to be very careful of placing these negative stigmas on, well, I just, I shouldn't be angry. Actually, maybe Anger is the exact right emotion or shame or guilt or remorse or sorrow or whatever. Same thing with positive emotions. If you're happy, maybe you ought to figure out why you're happy so you can do more of that. If you're fulfilled or proud, why are you proud? Because I resisted temptation or because I built this thing into to my system or I, I, uh, I hit my strength goal. You should feel proud about that. That's right. It's okay to be prideful in that, that aspect. So you can replicate it next time. 
Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah, I actually had um, had a guy. I get mostly positive uh, uh, reactions on social media right now, which is really nice because I have experienced the, you know, YouTube, I find the comments can be kind of harsh. And then yes, Instagram, people are just seem to be much nicer. Um, but I had a guy who was like, gluttony and pride are sins and you are therefore going to hell or something like that and i was like i don't i don't think he gets it like i'm not first of all i'm not a super prideful person i'm barely able to post a picture of myself and it's after i've convinced myself that i can see that i've made some accomplishment but there's no way i could be ever accused of of committing the deadly sin of pride you know right and then gluttony i'm kind of just talking about how i'm escaping that and trying to beat it so i don't know i just thought it was funny where you take this thing of like anything in this realm is bad and and i agree and then i go down the rabbit hole of like there must have been some at some point uh biological reason for us to experience all of this stuff and that's a hundred percent right you know and maybe i don't care if you whack yeah i mean you can you it goes back to the tool you can use it incorrectly right like I, i don't care whether you believe in in creation or evolution the reason we have the range of emotions that we do is obviously to serve us right because if it didn't serve us either again regardless of what you believe we wouldn't have been created with those or we wouldn't have evolved to, to have those emotions. And, you know, go, even going back to the pride thing, there's a difference between being proud and being prideful. I think, I think we all know that, right? There's a line, right? There's a line between even jealousy. Like if you're jealous, okay, well, maybe that just means that you would like to do something to achieve somebody else's level of success. I don't think that's, a, that's aspirational. There's nothing wrong with that. If it, if it drives you to... Uh, hurt that person at some level, then yeah, that's a problem, right? It's just to what level you decide to implement it in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I think thinking about thinking these things through is super helpful. And, you know, thinking about all of this in terms of tools like Facebook as a tool, what Mm -hmm. a, what a concept. I don't know that it's um, being utilized as such for most people clearly for facebook they're using it as a tool they're gathering data and selling it to people and like making a gigantic fortune so it's a tool for them but like right how do we use these things what how do we implement them as a tool and what purpose are they serving you know um we, we talked about this on your show but like reading even reading for pleasure can be a tool can be bettering yourself watching a movie can be an enhancement of some sort or mm-hmm. listening to a podcast or we can just have something mindlessly entertaining us while time passes you know right. how are we going to implement these things it's um i think you're alluding to the idea of intentionality which i've i've heard you talk about you know as again, to go back to Facebook, I hear a lot of people complain about, oh, Facebook this and Facebook that, Instagram this and Instagram that. And look, I get it. You know, there's things that are issues, certainly. You can curate all of that. Like 
it's you're you're in control of it. You know, you can curate your your feed. You can you create it just the way that you want it to be. And although it may not be perfect the way, it's free. You know, I think about Facebook and social media. I I I bash on social media. You know, there's some things that that I see generally wrong with it, so I bash on it a little bit. But also, I've created a pretty lucrative career utilizing free tools that I didn't have to pay for. And I still don't have to pay for it's pretty incredible, but it requires a lot of intentionality to think of it like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I wonder, I wonder if that is really the trick is just um, kind of dissecting your life and, and putting intentionality behind everything you do. Um, and, and, you know, obviously not to the point where it's not fun. Cause I believe in fun mm. as a tool too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if, if life isn't fun, like we're really doing something wrong. Um, but I know even today I could do that a little bit more to uh, fast track certain things to get more out of certain things. I, I think this is something I'm going to, when we're, when we're done talking, I'm actually going to do a little bit of what we're talking about just to look at what my interaction with certain aspects of my life are. And am I putting intention into that? I think there's a a very powerful question. And I, and I learned this years ago is just asking yourself, is this serving you, you know, in, in any given moment, any conversation or activity, endeavor, task, asking yourself, is this serving me? You know, is, for example, my conversation, Ethan, with you, is this serving me? Yeah, you bet your ass it is. You know, I'm uplifted by it. I hope you are. I know people who are listening are going to be. Um, when, when I get done and I'm going to spend some time with my, my children when we're done here, is that going to be serving? Is that activity serving me? Yeah, absolutely. I'm being a better father. It's uplifting me. It's helping me raise them. It's giving benefit and value to their life. And frankly, there's activities that I engage in. I'm like, I shouldn't be doing this. This isn't serving me right now. And using that question or that prompt, I guess we'll say, um, leads me to make better decisions when I'm tempted to not make all the right decisions. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. I really love that, man. Ryan, thank you so much for this time. That brother talking to you. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. We definitely need to stay in touch, man. I appreciate you coming on mine. And of course the opportunity to come talk with you and the people that listen in, this is, um, these are valuable conversations. So I'm just glad to be able to have them. Me too. All right. Talk to you soon. Thanks brother. Appreciate you. Bye. And now for the Q and a, here's a question from Mick. Hi Mick. Anytime somebody congratulates me on the progress I've made, I don't know how to take it as I'm ashamed of ever having let myself get as big as I was. Is this a feeling that you've experienced Also, having been as big as you were since making your own fucking incredible transformation, do you ever ever have experience with the feeling of being an imposter in your own skin? All the time. All of this is so relatable, Mick. Um, And I experience all of it. I I feel like um, sometimes an acknowledgement makes me feel like, but I'm not even... You guys don't even know where I'm going to get to. And how could you say this looks good? Because this still looks like shit. Um, And like total embarrassment about what people must have been thinking. Um, And even what I thought about myself 
uh, previously. Um, all, all of that makes sense to me. Um, and I think I also am not super comfortable with just the attention of uh, being told I've done a good job necessarily. You know, that, that's not true. The one time and, and situation where I feel utter pride um, and, and, and am really hopeful about um, getting those accolades is when I cook something delicious for my wife or kids. That is literally the only time where I've done something that I feel good about and I want them to love it. And, and when they do, it makes me feel good. And I go, yeah, you know, um, there's some cumin in there or like you, you never would have even thought I, I put, uh, uh, fucking cashews as the base of this sauce and, and they're, and it's amazing. And pretty much anything else that I'm told I did a good job with, I feel like guilty. That's my immediate reaction. And I don't know why, like, um, I guess that's not necessarily true. I just realized that I once like, um, organized my shoes and, and Brandy was very happy and I felt utter pride about that. So it's not strictly food. I think food is just the most, um, recurring because you do something and then you watch the person eating it, enjoy it and have this experience and it makes me feel good. But like, as far as like something with me physically, I, it, it, um, tends to, uh, make me uncomfortable and feel like a fraud. And I, I totally relate to that. I think, um, what I try to do is, um, as quickly as possible, acknowledge their, uh, their compliment and move on and change the subject because I don't want to stay on it and continue to feel uncomfortable. I don't know if that's the greatest advice. Maybe you should revel in it a bit and go like, yeah, I'm working really hard. And I think that might probably be a healthier way to, to, to do it. Um, but yes, I, I, I empathize with you and, uh, you know, it's a psychologically tricky thing. I think we have to be rooting for ourselves, um, a little bit more and we have to take moments to pat ourselves on the back. And if it requires somebody else patting us on the back and saying, Hey, check you out. You're doing a great job that I think the, the better, healthier thing to do is to go, yeah, I am, I am doing great and I should also be, um, complimenting myself and recognizing, um, this hard work and this effort that I've put into it. I, I have had instances where a big acknowledgement over something like that will just end it for me and I'll be done. And then I'm like, and so I, I want to stay away from that kind of area of feeling super confident and comfortable because I don't do well. Um, being too happy with myself in those terms and feeling too much confident, but confidence, but I, I also think it's, um, better to figure out some in between from just t feeling like a piece of shit all the time. And therefore what's the point of doing what we're doing. And I think that kind of probably for me was what led me towards, um, you know, succumbing, uh, versus 
the the opposite, which would be like, I'm so happy I'm going to go buy drugs or I'm going to go get a pizza and celebrate that way um, because nothing matters because I just feel great. Um, so somewhere in the middle where you can recognize your accomplishments without um, allowing it to destroy any future accomplishments. Jesus, I bet a psychologist would have a lot more coherent advice to give you, Mick, but that's what I have to say. Thank you for your question. If you have a question you would like me to answer on this podcast, please submit it to AmericanGlutton.net. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>